Hello, and welcome back to Stable Geniuses, the official podcast of BronyCon. I'd like to welcome you all to our second episode ever, and start out by announcing the winner of the badge drawing from the first episode, which is one Nora Mermaid. Congratulations, Nora. If you haven't already been contacted by our registration department, they will get in touch with you. Moving on, for our second episode, we have a very, very special treat for all of you loyal listeners. The one and only Purple Tinker and her friend Erica. Purple is the founder, or one of the founders, of BronyCon, and its very first chair. They agreed to appear on the show and talk about the founding of the convention and its early days. So without further ado, let's get right to the interview. Welcome back to Stable Geniuses. Our guests this week are very special. From back in the very beginning, the dawn of BronyCon years, Purple Tinker and Erica. Say hello to the ponies, guys. Hello. Hello. So you two were there when it all began, right? Yeah. Um... In the early days, BronyCon was basically run as a, well, I'd say a mom-and-pop shop, but it's more like a mom-and-mom <laughs> shop. Um, and um, it was me and Erica uh, running everything out of a, a brinky-dink apartment in Brooklyn. It was a much simpler time. Nobody had to find titles, really. Uh, nobody had to find departments. We just sort of did our own thing. And what were your own things? What were each of y'all's primary responsibilities, you know, back in the day? What did y'all do? Well, I was basically the con chair. Um, I was responsible for finance and all of that, um, paying for the venue. And um, I was essentially the financial backup for the con. Uh, if we didn't have enough money from ticket sales at any given point, well, it came out of my paycheck. Uh, and Erica, why don't you tell me a little bit about the stuff you did? Uh, I did a lot of the rest of the stuff. I, I designed the pamphlets. Uh, we, we didn't have a con book. It was just a few people, so we, we had a little pamphlet, and I designed that and did the artwork for it and the fonts. And um, I'd also run registration when we had our little... Uh, it wasn't even really a full con at that point. It was just kind of like a meetup of maybe 50 people. And uh, so I would do the registration desk and kind of be the person behind the scenes to... Uh, to make sure everything was set up and running smoothly. As I recall, you also ran the reg desk at the first con, although the first con was only 100 people. I think the first couple cons I did, uh, even the one in the Lower East Side, I, I think I ran registration there also. Yeah, yeah. And she was, uh, she was my trusted right hand. She did all sorts of work. Neat, neat. So uh, one thing I bet our listeners are dying to know, and me too, just how... Where did the idea for BronyCon come from? How was it born? Right. Um, so, as Erica mentioned when we were chatting before the show, um, and when we started off, we weren't doing conventions. We were just doing meetups. Um, so, I guess to start, we got to go there. In early 2011, um, at that point, Brony fandom was like half a year old, but it was internet only. There was no real-life component to it. There weren't meetups. There weren't conventions. So I said, that's not right. Um, and at this time, there were some people, um, at, the, at this time I was located on the East Coast in New York, and there were people on the West Coast um, 
in uh, Seattle and in Portland who were also interested in starting a meetup group. And none of us knew it at the time, but there was actually um, there was actually a meetup group that already existed in Ohio, but they were sort of doing their own thing with their own software. They weren't using meetup.com. Anyways, to make the long story short, um, I provided funding for the New York group and one of the two West Coast groups to start up on meetup.com. Um, and so those three groups were started. And again, there was also that one in Ohio that none of us knew about. Um, but those were the first four, as, as far as we're aware, of uh, meetup groups, at least in North America. So Bronies NYC, the group that Erica and I started, had its first meetup in May of 2011. And this meetup, we uh, walked around Manhattan, mostly because the venue wasn't big enough. The venue that we had chosen wasn't big enough for as many people as showed up. So we had to make a couple of stops and think on our feet. Um, we ended up stopping at a, a park, a public park, for a while and hanging out there, which was a lot of fun. But then we realized, okay, everyone needs dinner. So I'm thinking, we're in Lower Manhattan. We're in, you know, Little Italy. Where am I going to go? And then I remembered there was this place called Cha-Cha's, which I'm 99% sure is a front for the mob. No one's ever in there, and they've, they've stayed open forever. Um, great place, though. Um, they, they have some really good cannoli, if you like cannoli. So I'm like, you know, I bet Cha-Cha's has room, because nobody's ever in Cha-Cha's. So we walked to Cha-Cha's, which was a bit of a schlep, but I was right. There was nobody in there. Um, there were like, you know, two or three tables that had people at it, but the rest of the restaurant was open. So we basically took over Cha-Cha's back room, um, and it was like a little convention in there. We were talking about ponies, we were watching episodes on like somebody's iPad. Um, I ordered in a whole bunch of cupcakes for the group. People and started to put their ponies out on the tables. It was like a, like a little very miniature vendor hall kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. People were tr trading and buying and selling ponies. It was. It felt like an impromptu small convention. And people started to say that. I think it was actually Zorin who said this feels like a little convention. Um, and then somebody, I, I can't remember who, said, yeah, it could be like a BronyCon except with NYC capitalized. And I'm like, ding, the light bulb goes on over my head. And I said, we can do this. Um, not knowing at the, at the time that I probably shouldn't have said that, <laughs> how <laughs> difficult it was going to be. But um, stupid me, I leapt in with uh, all four hooves, as it were. And I said, I'll do this. I'll make this happen. I'll make a BronyCon happen. And the planning began straight away. After that, I looked for a venue near the place where I worked uh, by the Flatiron Building in, in Midtown Manhattan. There was a place called, uh, Erica, was it New York Seminar and Conference Center or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and it was right around the corner from where I worked. And I figured, okay, a conference center, and it's in middle Manhattan. It, it, it's, it's easy to get to. It's uh, right by the Flatiron Station on the subway. So we booked some rooms there, and they were sufficient for the purpose uh, for the first BronyCon, because the first BronyCon was only 100 people, but even any bigger than that, and we knew we would have had to have grown. But yeah, started, uh, started registering people for the convention there, and uh, saw how things grew. Uh, in the end, we had 100 people there, so that's how it got started, very... Uh, humble roots, 100 people in an, in an office uh, convention center in Manhattan. That's, that was the first BronyCon in June of 2011, just a month after the first meetup. And then I'm given to understand the second one was actually pretty quick after that? 
Yeah, um, or... you, you know, you're correct. Um, the idea that I had at, at first was, because um, people kept saying, this will never work, you know, brandy conventions can't be a thing. And I was determined to show that they could be a thing. And at the time, BronyCon was the only game in town. Uh, the folks on the West Coast, uh, the folks who were behind what became Everfree, actually even then they had the name Everfree, they just hadn't held an event yet. They were like, yeah, we'll have a con in like a year and a half. And I'm like, that's not good enough. People are going to lose their head of steam. You know, we got we to gotta show the fandom that Brony conventions can happen here and now. So because there was no one else holding a convention, I'm like, let's hold multiple conventions. And... It was always part of the plan to to taper off and have fewer conventions per year. But in the first year, we had four. We had one in June of 2011. We had one three months later in September. Um, and then we had, um, we had one four months later in January. And then we had one six months later the next June. Um, but, you know, we were spacing them out. First three months, then four months, then six months. And we didn't know if BronyCon was going to end up once a year or twice a year, as it as it was, of course, it ended up once a year. But the well, idea it was, was kind to... of a it was kind of a gradual thing, I think, because originally the meetups it would be like a monthly thing, um, where we would just come and hang out. And then when we decided to put on the small convention, we thought, okay, well, there's too much going on here to do it every month. Let's do it every three months. Um, and then um, eventually, doing it every three months became too much of a burden because if it was getting bigger and bigger, and then it was kind of like, okay, we're gonna have one big con and then maybe a few other meetups throughout the year. Exactly. Yeah, she's right. And um, it, 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 whenever we had a con, we didn't have a meetup that month because the con was the meetup. And as time went on, um, the con and the meetups became a little less intertwined as people started coming in from out of town. It wasn't just Bronies NYC locals anymore. And I, I had figured that with time, it would get more spaced out, and it did. It just... It just happened that way. Things were definitely too hectic to do it every three months. And so I'm like, okay, let's do it in four months. Let's do it in six months. Um, and, of course, the organization that ended up coming out of all this did one every 12 months, every year. But, yeah, there were there were quite a lot in the first year. Just because I wanted to keep growing the concept, the idea was that each one would be a little bigger than the last one. And after each one... Um, people were less and less skeptical that brony conventions were a viable concept. Remember, Erica, back in the early days, after each con, we get comments, oh, this will be the last brony con, this will be the last one. Yeah, people never believed that they would really continue. And we were bound and determined to show that, yeah, they will continue, and soon there will be more of them. We knew Everfree was forming out in uh, in Seattle. We did not know about um, the TrotCon group. They were actually con contemplating a convention at the time, but they didn't actually have an event until uh, a little later, 2012. But we knew there would be more, and we knew, you know, we were just trying to prime the pump of public interest in Brony events. And each time we had a little convention, um, at the end, there would be suddenly a whole bunch of new people that registered on our site. And, and then um, when we would announce the guests for the next one, then suddenly there'd be another big bump. Yeah, and uh, in the early days also... Um, Equestria Daily was really instrumental in BronyCon's growth. I was uh, came from a background of um, uh, journalism, at least in high school and college. I was on the staff of my paper, and I knew the power of the press. 
and I knew we had an audience in the form of Equestria Daily, so let's use it. Uh, every time we'd have a convention, we'd announce it on EQD. Every time we had a guest announcement, we'd announce it on EQD, because, you know, it seems obvious now, but, but back in the day, there were no brandy conventions. So I'm like, we've got to recruit people uh, via the one medium that all bronies share, which at the time was EQD. And every time a new article came out, we got a lot of new registrants. We got a new, a lot of new people in, uh, interested in staffing. And um, I'd be willing to bet that some of our VIPs might have even learned of us via EQD. And, I mean, you mentioned that in the early days, the frequency was just your determination to show that the concept of a BronyCon was viable. Uh, that being said, you know... Me, I'm not only I not only run the podcast. I'm also a moderator for the BronyCon Discord, and I see, especially in the days after you know BronyCon 2018 ended and the announcement spread like wildfire that 2019 was going to be the last year, I see so many people heralding it as the end of not just BronyCon, but they feel like it's the end of the fandom. What do y'all think about all that? Um, <clears throat> I have I have some thoughts on this, but uh, uh, Erica, do you want do you want to add anything before I go into my spiel? Well, there's other conventions that have been going on alongside BronyCon, and there's I think there's a lot of people that are fans of the show and the fandom, but aren't traveling and going to the huge conventions um, especially out here on the west coast I haven't been into several of the recent BronyCons that have been really large but I'm still interested in the show and I still enjoy socializing with the people that I've met through the fandom um, so just the big BronyCon not being there that wouldn't really change um, my schedule a whole lot and I think other a lot of other people would be the same yeah, um, I think Erica represents the view of someone who'd be more of a, a casual convention goer at this point, and they aren't really going to be affected. Uh, the people who are going to be affected are the people who are the habitual convention goers, the people who go all the time. And back in the early days, we noticed immediately a lot of the people who want to go to every convention they can don't have the means to go to every convention they can. Uh, a lot of bronies don't have a lot of disposable income. So people were always asking, can you create a BronyCon in my town? Can you create a BronyCon in this other town? Remember those questions, Erica? Can you make a BronyCon in Tulsa, <laughs> yeah. Oklahoma? Can you make a BronyCon in Biloxi, Mississippi? Um, we were always like, no, no, no. But the thing that makes BronyCon different is it has been so large for so long that even the people who don't have that much money have tried their best to save up to go to it. I've seen so many people start GoFundMes to go out to BronyCon. To me, I think that's going to be the one major change, is that there's not going to be any one epicenter of the Brony universe, at least at first. Uh, because, you know, BronyCon's been so much bigger than the number two and number three convention that it's been the one that everyone tries to go to. Obviously, people who are so poor that they can't even raise the funds to go uh, are going to continue doing what they do, which is just go to whatever's local, if anything. But the sorts of people who've been saving up every year to go to BronyCon now, they're going to have to decide what do they want to do. Do they want to save up to go to Babs or save up to go to Everfree? Do they want to save their money and not go to any convention? But the long story short is, let me let me address the elephant in the room directly. 
when people say that brony conventions are going to die or that the fandom is going to die, they're wrong. That's not, that's not going to happen. Um, and I can say this from experience because when I was creating BronyCon's basic model for how the con was going to be, it, I basically took the overall layout of a furry convention with, you know, dances and, and auctions and a vendor hall, and I bolted on the VIP handling methodology from Star Trek cons because, like Star Trek, uh, brony conventions have a small and fixed pool of talent to choose from, whereas, you know, a furry con or an anime con, there are countless VIPs you could invite, but here in Pony, just like with Trek, there are only so many major cast members, and that number doesn't really grow that, that rapidly with time. So I was inspired a lot by the Star Trek conventions, and one thing that I learned from the Star Trek conventions is that it doesn't matter if the show is on the air or not. There are going to be fans, and there are going to be fan conventions. There have been entire decades when there was no Trek on the air, and yet there are still Trek conventions. And it's going to be the same thing with Pony. Even once, you know, Pony ends, which it eventually will, there are still going to be bronies, and there are still going to be people who are interested in conventions. They just aren't going to be quite as large as they were before. And that's inevitable, but fandoms never really die. They just sort of paper off. But even, uh, like, people being fans of My Little Pony didn't start with Friendship is Magic. It sort of has transcended through all the other uh, generations that came before. Precisely. And um, what happened with G4 is it gave a shot in the arm to the franchise. And while we've never really seen too much mixing between the hardcore G1 through G3 fans and the bronies, there has been some mixing. There are definitely, and I find that, that as time has gone on, the proportion of old-school Pony fans who have felt comfortable at Brony events has grown, and you see more and more people making reference to, you know, G1 styles at G4 events. But they're all, it's all part of the same franchise, and there's always been an interest in the franchise, even when the franchise itself wasn't really doing anything. Um, I mean, let's be honest, no one was really that interested in G3, especially G3.5, like they were in G1, or certainly like the interest, you know, sprung up for G4, but there was still a My Little Pony fair, and just because there's not going to be a brony con doesn't mean there aren't going to be brony cons. I expect them to continue well into the future, and, you know, you have to take the long view on stuff like this. The, the fandom existed before BronyCon. I mean, I created BronyCon because there wasn't a convention. And if it existed before BronyCon, that means it's going to exist after BronyCon too. And as long as there are enough people interested in holding an event, there are going to be events. They just won't be 10,000 people events. That's all. Thank you both very much. I, I have to say, I agree wholeheartedly. And in fact, it's a big part of while the podcast wasn't originally my idea, it's a big part of the goal that I have behind this podcast is to show that, hey, you know, BronyCon didn't start out this huge, massive thing. It had humble beginnings. It, it was put together and started by ordinary people who just had a love for the show and the determination to make it happen. Exactly. It, it started from humble roots, and it might return to a humble place, you know, who knows? Maybe someday BronyCon will be two or three hundred people. I don't think so. I, I think it'll hang on. You know, there, there will 
always be events of a larger size than that. But, you know, BronyCon proper going under doesn't mean Brony conventions are going to end. There's still going to be Babs. There's still going to be Everfree, you know. There could be another convention that's been small that will now uh, grow to be much larger because with BronyCon um, closing for whatever reasons they felt were unsustainable to continue it, those fans, I think, still want to go to a convention. So maybe they'll flock to another one and that will then grow to be the the new epicenter of the fandom. Yeah, a pattern that we've been seeing recently is that whenever a popular convention closes, um, another event will open up to try to replace it. And it's funny because that you know, <clears throat> that even happened with BronyCon itself when BronyCon left New York. Obviously, BronyCon didn't go away, but the uh, the idea of having a Brony convention in the New York area did. So people tried to create a convention to replace it. That was difficult because New York real estate is extremely expensive. But more recently, we've seen similar instances of this pattern uh, when Brony Can went under, uh, Van Hoover sprung up to take its place and even was held in the same hotel. Uh, ditto when Night- Nightmare Nights canceled, um, then of Harmony Con. Now we have yeah. uh, Harmony Con. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. I'm a Texas resident myself, and Fiesta Equestria was my very oh, first wow. convention in, in summer of 2015. I met a meetup group out of Austin. They were putting together a trip, and I'm like, you know what, sure. And then, you know, they're like, Oh, well, you know, we're heading up to Nightmare Nights, and it was my first big con. And then uh, I made my way to BronyCon as an attendee in 2017, which was a whole other deal. I actually... uh... But, yeah. So I love Nightmare Nights. I was so sad to see it close, and I'm... Well, at this point, there's uh, a snowball's chance in Hades that I'll make the first Harmony Con. I just hope there's I get the second. feeling that there will be. Uh, I mean, what I noticed with Van Hoover is, you know, because Van Hoover was created because the Brony Can people, you know, weren't willing to do it anymore. It was, I don't know their exact reasoning, probably some combination of financial reasons and burnout, but they expected to get 100 to 200 people for Van Hoover, and they got 375. Uh, they beat their estimate by a factor of two. So there's still hope. I mean, the replacement events might not be as large as the events they're replacing, but there's still enough interest to maintain, you know, sizable enough conventions to attract to attract hundreds or possibly thousands of people. And even with BronyCon, there's there's that uh, Equestria Fest. Is that the name? It's Equestria Fest trying yes. to um, create a convention in uh, in Maryland, and. Uh, Nobody thinks it's going to be another BronyCon. It's not going to be as big as BronyCon, but there's no reason why why they can't get no, to a thousand or two thousand people ultimately. Right, and I don't think any startup convention would want. At least, I think any startup convention that has a goal of attaining that massive size its first year is quite possibly biting off. More oh yeah, uh, and you know, speaking frankly, anyone who thinks or plans on getting thousands of people in a first year, you're doing the wrong thing. That's happened several times. One of them was the infamous Unicon. They thought they were going to get 6,000 people. Uh, As I recall, it was more like 600, and we all know how that ended. But don't, you know, people who are creating new cons, 
nowadays have the benefit of dozens and dozens yeah exactly experience dozens and dozens of people who've gone before who are willing to offer their advice and the fandom has started self-policing in a very positive sense of of the of the phrase you know there have been several times when some kid and inevitably it's a kid you know 16 year old 17 year old kid oh yeah i'm going to start a new convention and i'm going to have thousands of people there and it rapidly becomes apparent that they don't know what they're doing and that they really just, you know, that it, it's commendable. They want a brony convention nearby that they can get to and they want to serve the community. But, you know, it becomes apparent that it's it's not going to work out and that this person's not not really fit for purpose to be a con chair. And several times this has happened and, you know, myself and several other past con orgs and con founders have stepped in and said, hey, you know, we, we like your energy, but maybe you should start out staffing at a local convention first, as opposed to trying to create a new running convention. And that sort of intervention has, I think, prevented a lot of chaos as cons, you know, as cons go out of business. Um, the cons that have been springing up uh, to replace cons that closed have mostly been run by people who were involved in the previous events or other events. You know, there are a lot of ex-Brony Can staffers behind Van Hoover, and there there are presumably a lot of ex-Nightmare Night staffers behind Harmony Con and so on and so forth. So, you know, there's a lot of experience out there on the field right now, and and that, I think, is going to shepherd in the future of Brony Conventions, make sure that there aren't any more high-profile blow-ups. Right, and especially, and even now with you know BronyCon itself ending, we're still going to have experienced staffers that then go out and help other cons and lend their expertise and their experience. Precisely. There. I mean, I'm going to be one of them because I actually, I 2018 was the first year I staffed BronyCon or any convention. Wow, Mazel tov. ever. And it was born. <laughs> It was born out of me sitting there. I'd gone in 2017. I wanted to go back. I loved it. and But I was sitting there like, oh, man, you know, at this rate, I'm not going to be able to afford to go back in 2018. And uh, a friend of mine that I'd known him through Discord for a while, he was one of the staffers. Uh, do you all know Larsus? Yeah, yeah, I know him. It seems like everybody does. Yeah, he's pretty well known. They don't know Lars. And if they don't know Larsus, they know his goldfish. <laughs> so, uh, at the time, you know, he was working in North Texas. He actually came down in December 2017 and stayed with me for a weekend, and we just hung out. And I was talking to him about that, and he just quipped, well, why don't you volunteer? I'm like, well, okay. And so I became a staffer and never looked back, uh... I was the one of the room managers for Hall of the Sun in 2018, and when they interviewed me, I told them for before they offered me a, you know, said, okay, yeah, you can staff. When I did this pre-staff interview, you know, they said, uh, I said, you know, as long as I can be off for the gala, off duty for the gala and attend, I'm happy. And uh, I actually wound up being on duty for the gala, but I was okay with that because I was still there. I, uh, you know, it's funny. I uh, attended the gala in 2017, and everybody had said it was 
an unmitigated disaster, but I loved it. Of course, I loved the 2018 one even more, seeing what it could be, but those are just really an amazing bunch of folks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you've learned firsthand, the best source for recruiting new staffers is existing staffers. And as you mentioned earlier, yeah, um, you know, BronyCon going out of business leaves behind, you know, geez, 10 events worth of staffers um, who are most of them ready, willing, and able to help at additional events in the future. So, you know, if 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 for one thing, <clears throat> BronyCon going under means there's that much more, you know, staff, you know, human resources power left over to go around for the other events, which can only serve to improve them because having experience at BronyCon really prepares someone for anything in this field. And what's more, they're going to be widely geographically dispersed. I've just been shocked at how many different places we all come from. And now that, and of course the draw from such great distances is because it's the BronyCon. But without that anymore, I can see a lot of it leading to that experience being lent to smaller local cons. Exactly. And in, er in the early days, conventions were staffed almost exclusively by locals, but that pattern has changed, especially with BronyCon, it being so big. BronyCon staffers are from everywhere. I mean, as we can see, it, it was founded by New Yorkers. It's now hosted in Baltimore by people who come from all over the country. And it's really become the national, almost the international convention. And with that going away, now suddenly we're going to have people in Texas and people in California and people in Oklahoma and people in, in Massachusetts. Canada. Yeah, in, in Canada and Mexico who, who were staffers. And now they don't have an event to staff. So it stands to reason that a lot of them are going to go and help some of the other conventions. Sort of setting that aside for a moment, I do a uh, general question I'd like to ask. What is a favorite story or experience that each of y'all had with BronyCon? Oh, yeah, I've got mine. <laughs> uh, Erica, do you want to go first? Oh, I don't know what I would even say. Um, well, I mean, Purple, if you've already got yours, yeah. let's hear yours and give her time. Yeah, I, I've got mine, uh, and maybe Erica will think of something cool while I'm telling my story. So, um, it, it's going to seem really funny now, but to this day, my favorite BronyCon memory was from the second BronyCon, the one in September of uh, 2011. It was held in this rinky-dink photo studio um, in Chinatown um, that was usually used for, like, modeling photo shoots and shooting ads. And it was the first and only BronyCon that actually served alcohol. <laughs> um, so there was there were a lot of... There were a lot of drunken ponies, um, but that wasn't the fun part. I don't drink a lot. Uh, the fun part was the dance. It was the first BronyCon that had a dance event, and it was inspired by the furry conventions uh, to create Bronypalooza, and so every pony was dancing until late in the night. Now, mind you, at this time, this was still a very small event. It was three or four hundred people, uh, so it really wasn't the... Titanic event that we tend to think of as BronyCon, but everyone would bring everyone brought their own sleeping bags and ended up sleeping on the floor of the venue. It was extremely casual back then and very rambunctious. So people were playing loud Brony music until two in the morning, and the rest of us went into one of the panel rooms, set up our sleeping bags, and just fell asleep. 
And then in the morning, everyone cleaned up together while singing Winter Wrap-Up. It was very much a, a community <laughs> effort. It was extremely casual and the sort of thing that could only have happened early on. I mean, something that that rambunctious would never have worked at a large event. But for a few hundred people, it was just enough organized chaos to manage. Um, but I was really impressed by the fact that when everyone woke up, you know, after dancing all night and drinking and partying, everyone helped in cleaning up, not just the staffers, but the attendees as well. Uh, just stuck around for a few hours to help us clean up the venue. And that really struck a chord with me with how uh, inspired the community was to to do the right thing and to help each other out and to help the event, even if they weren't staffers, even if they weren't getting any sort of benefit out of it, just because it's the right thing to do, just picking up trash and filling trash bags and folding up tables and singing winter wrap-up the whole time. It was it was really cute. So that's that's my favorite story. Yeah, I guess for me, I don't have a specific event, but I, that convention was kind of like the first, that was the first point where it really felt like a real convention, whereas the previous ones were kind of... Uh, felt like scaled-up meetups. ...someplace to hang out. Yeah, the, but that one at the Lower East Side, that one felt like a real convention, and I'd never been to something like that before. And um, so just sort of taking part, and we, we had uh, um, we had the music going, and people were um, coming from all over. To, to the earlier ones, it was mostly people that we all already knew. Um, but that convention, there were people coming from out of town. Um, and so we had a lot of people that you didn't know before so we got got to meet new people and sort of make friends and I remember going going around and interviewing people that I hadn't met and um, talking to people to find out how they got interested in ponies and what they liked about the fandom and so forth and um, there's something special about it that everyone was kind of all the same so you had young people and older people and some people that uh, had a lot more money and some people didn't have that much but everyone was kind of the same um, and friendly to each other and caring to each other in a way that um, they might not have that social network on the outside and there was just uh, a, a community aspect of it that I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, well said. That was one of the biggest appeals of BronyCon in the early days was that a lot of the times BronyCon was the only place that people could go to and express their love for Pony without being judged. You know, they could wear a Fluttershy on their shirt and instead of, you know, someone laughing at them, oh, you've got a, a girly pony on your shirt, people would say, oh, that shirt's adorable. And it was a supportive and, and caring environment. And like Erica said, uh, the one in September of 2011 was probably the first one where people came in large numbers from out of state. I remember that's where we first met Ohad, you know, uh, who came from California and was involved in, you know, in Bronies of Northern California, which is a group that's local to BabsCon. Um, and there were just, there were people from all over, and it was also the first time that we had a proper uh, show staffer guest of honor in the form of Jason and Jocelyn Thiessen, who we flew in from Canada. So yeah, that was the first part, that was the first one that really felt like a con, albeit a small con and not an overgrown meetup. And it really was uh, an inspiring moment that we just knew we had to keep going and growing. It certainly sounds like it. And, you know, Erica mentioned she enjoyed getting to hear how people got into the show. So I, I have found in my time in the fandom, and good Lord Almighty, I am shocked to believe it's been 
almost four years now for me. How time flies. But I've found that bronies actually have something in common with superheroes. Do you know what that is? A love of brightly colored cartoons? <laughs> Not quite. Just like superheroes, it seems every one of us has an origin story. Yeah, yeah. How we got into the shows, and I do love hearing those, so this leads me to one question I usually ask my guests. How did y'all get into the show? I believe Purple mentioned that she said to you, Erica, hey, have you seen this and showed it to you, but, uh, what about you? Yeah, Erica? I remember she, she said, oh, have you seen this, this show, and... And I hadn't, at that point, I hadn't really heard of ponies and all that stuff. But so we, she showed it to me on the TV and we were living together in Brooklyn. And um, I, th I remember that we just ended up sitting on the living room floor watching, watching episode after episode. Uh, the first season was out. And so we just started watching the whole episode after episode back to back. Um, and it was really wonderful. I hadn't really seen something like that before. And uh, a lot of cartoons don't have things that will have appeal to adults but this show had really great music and the artwork was great and the characters had themes that you could relate to and it really um, drew me in and then I remember after that we even started having these little watch parties where there'd be the next episode and we'd have a bunch of friends in the area would come over and uh, we'd have like a sleepover the night before so we'd kind of have like a like a little miniature party kind of deal and then We'd all sleep on the floor in the apartment, and the next morning we'd get up and people would pitch in and start making breakfast. We'd have this big breakfast together of 20 or 30 people, and then we'd all kind of uh, cuddle up next to each other and watch the episode. Yeah, I remember those. It was a lot of fun. We actually had a projector back then, um, so we crammed as many people as we could into the living room, put Pony up on the giant projection screen, and we'd just all watch it together. Man, seems like a million years ago, and it was only eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as for my origin story, um, well, I was a furry since um, the mid 90s. And uh, one of my friends from the furry community um, is a guy named Zorin, uh, Zorin the Lynx from Miami. Um, and uh, he's almost uh, like Bernie Khan's godfather in a sense, because if he hadn't gotten me into watching the show, um, I probably wouldn't have gotten into the show, and I probably, therefore, wouldn't have created BronyCon. So history could have looked quite a bit different. Everfree could have been the first convention. So Zorin, uh, at, at that point, I had heard about My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and I remember thinking, oh boy, this just sounds so trite. Friendship is magic. It just sounds so stereotypical, girly girl. And, but... I kept seeing more and more memes and image macros and, and references popping up. I'm like, wow, people are really obsessed with this show. And finally, Zorin says, have you watched the show? I'm like, I keep hearing about it. Is it really actually something worth watching? He says, yeah, check it out. So I was like, okay, fine. If Zorin likes it, it can't be that bad. Because he always did have good taste in entertainment media. So I watched the show and I'm instantly hooked. I'm like, okay, first off, the art is amazing. Um... The animation is very fluid, but I liked especially that it doesn't it doesn't talk down to adults. Like Erica said, it's got something there for adults too. It's not just it wasn't this stereotype, you know, like almost juvenile Barney and Friends sort of thing I was expecting. It 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 had something there for people of all ages and it was something that anyone could watch and not feel 
infantilized by it. It, it. it felt like good, wholesome entertainment for an adult or a kid. And I was just sort of hooked from there. Um, so I guess I was, I was turned on to it by a friend. Um, you know, I've never been the sort of person to follow the trends. Um, and I noticed the trend and I was like, okay, this is another thing going around the internet. Um, but when a friend said it's worth watching, I, I realized, yeah, yeah, I'll give it a try. So I guess the power of friendship created BronyCon in a sense. <laughs> Very appropriate. Uh, so I believe you're now working on a new project, something called Sea Bronies? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'd love to talk about that and actually um, <clears throat> how it relates to BronyCon and, and the early days of, of BronyCon long past. Go right ahead. Sure. So, funny story about Seabronies. A long, long time ago, back in 2011 or 2012 or 2013, sometime in there, I thought, gee, I'd love to have a Brony cruise because I knew that there were furry cruises and there were Trekkie cruises, and I wanted there to be a Brony cruise, but I'm not sure if it was my own reasoning or someone I talked to about it, but came to the conclusion, either way, that there wouldn't be a market for it because Bronies are too poor. And then a few years later, there was a cruise scam targeting bronies. And these, really? yeah, these people said, give us X thousand dollars and we'll book you on a brony cruise. And it was a scam. It, it, it didn't, you know, nobody got anything. So I'm like, well, right. if there's a market for a scam, then there's a market for the real thing. So how am I going to create a brony cruise group that people will trust? And the model was very simple. You don't pay us. You pay the cruise line. You just give us $40 dues. Uh, and we settled on that that model really early on, and it served us well. We're now on our fifth cruise. Um, wow. But what's, what I like about Sea Bronies is it almost feels like the early days of Bronies NYC and BronyCon, back when it was still small and, and intimate and everyone knows everyone else. Because being a cruise group, you know, we, we do try to keep the costs down, but it still costs... A little bit more than a convention in most cases you know people think oh it's going to be thousands of dollars and no it's not it's like 500 600 ahead um, mm -hmm. but then you also have to fly in and you have to take a bunch of time off work so we'll never have you know thousands of people on these cruises the largest we've gotten so far is 30 something and it looks like we're going to have again 30 something with this upcoming one which is around the size of the, the earlier meetups so you get a lot of time to hang out with people and everyone gets to know everyone else. And uh, it's like you get a whole new group of friends each time. Although, of course, the staffers are usually returning, so it's like a big family reunion. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and it, it really does remind me of the feel of old Bronies NYC meetups, the things that led to BronyCon in the first place. The fun part is when I go to a convention, and then, you know, I'll be walking through the vendor hall and I'll run into like two or three cruisers and then I'll run into Peter New, who was one of our past guests. And it's like, oh, hey, it's like a Sea Bronies reunion here. It's a lot of fun. Certainly sounds like it. Actually, I hadn't uh, heard of it before uh, somebody had suggested having you on as a guest. I did. I thought it was something new. No, no, we've been around since 2015. Uh, we're currently working on Expedition 4, um, which is actually going to be our fifth cruise, um, because we had an Expedition Alpha, and then 1, 2, and 3, and now 4. Yeah, we've, we've we had a cruise with Nicole Oliver to Alaska last year. Before that, we had a cruise with Peter New and Jen Blake to Mexico, where we got Peter very, very drunk at a tequila factory. It was a lot of fun. 
And previous to that, we had a cruise to Nassau in the Bahamas with Natasha Levenger, one of the staff writers. So yeah, we've we've been around for a while. Very cool. So that being said, was there anything else either of you would like to talk about while we're here for the podcast? There's something I'd like to say, but I'd like to give Erica the opportunity to go first if she'd like. Yeah, I don't know. It's the smaller conventions have sort of drawn me back in. Um, I I had a lot of fun with it at the very beginning when the conventions weren't very large because it still had that sort of community friend kind of atmosphere where you people knew who you were and it was like it had a sense of familiarity to it. Like it was a good thing for people that maybe were quite introverted and um, didn't have a, a lot of friends. This was like a good way that you could go in a medium-sized group and um, be social with with people Um, and I really like that aspect of it but when it became large and the bureaucracy sort of started to take over and they had all these power grabs and struggles and um, and then that it sort of I sort of became disinterested in it because the reasons that I gotten into it in the first place which is kind of like the social um, friendship aspects those were it wasn't really didn't have that feeling anymore so I kind of drifted away from from the convention scene even though I've always enjoyed the ponies and the show um, so now that the brony con is coming to an end and there's uh, these other smaller cons that are a little bit more established now like the one up in Vancouver and the one in Seattle and so forth so I, I think now that that's now that it's not so huge and being run like it's not being run like a business anymore we've sort of gone back to how it started out and that kind of is desirable to me so I, I think that um, now is a good time for me to even come back and, and start uh, start reconnecting with the community a bit yeah um, and I'll sort of um, riff off of some of the stuff that Erica was saying there there, there have always been a lot of people who have been intimidated by the large size of BronyCon there have been there have been people who prefer smaller events, and for the longest time, um, BronyCon has BronyCon's existence has made it harder for smaller events to exist. And I think now that there's not going to be that one big epicenter of the fandom, I think this might actually be an opportunity for smaller events to thrive, and for some of the medium-sized events like Babs or Everfree or TrotCon to get a little bit larger. So I think we're going to sort of see a, a rebalancing effect where some of the uh, medium-sized cons that have been on a decline for a while might stop their decline, and we might even see more local meetups. Um, because, as I said earlier, there are always going to be bronies, with or without the show. And as long as there are bronies and there are people who want to socialize with other bronies, there are going to be social gatherings. I guess if I have to say one thing in concluding this um, interview, it's support your local event. Uh, support support your local meetup group. Support your local convention any way you can, even if it's just retweeting them. Because nobody putting on these events is going to get rich doing it. Nobody's going to get famous. We're all just trying to make a nice place for people who like the show to gather. And, you know... The currency that anything thrives on in the information age is exposure. It's 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 eyeballs. We got to get more people seeing 
that, you know, this meetup or this convention or in, in C. Brundy's case, this cruise is a thing. So often I see people saying after we talk about the last cruise that we went on, oh, that's a thing I wish I could have known. I wish I, I would have gone. And, you know, it's the same thing with every convention, with every meetup. The more people who know about it, that's that many more people who can potentially attend it. So help your local event organizers, be it meetups or conventions or both, get out the word. You know, tweet about it, talk about it on Facebook, tell your friends, you know, face-to-face who happen to like ponies, hey, there's this event so-and-so, you know, is holding at this place, you want to go. Because that's what keeps the community going, is people recruiting other people, people telling other people about cool events that are going on that otherwise they wouldn't have heard about. So, you know, again, support your local event, support your local con org, support your local meetup organizer, and um, just do your part to help the community. That's the best thing any of us can do for any of us. Very true. Uh, thank you both, Purple, Erica, for coming on today and sitting down with me and talking. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Once more, I'd like to give a hearty thank you to both Purple and Erica for appearing on the show today. And that brings us to a close. I would like to remind you all, once more, there is a Google Forms link down in the description where you can enter for another badge drawing for BronyCon 2019. Also, if you have any questions for the for Purple or Erica, you can reach out to the podcast via the email address podcast at bronycon.org or tweet at us on Twitter or Facebook or just in the comments section. And I will pose those questions to our guest and have answers for you at the time of the next episode. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you next time.